Uh, so we're going through chapter 6 of the book of Romans this morning. Man, again, I, I can't just stress how much I've, uh, I've enjoyed. I've been enjoying just, man, studying the book of Romans, going through every single chapter, just digging deep, and then be able to teach it. It's an amazing, amazing book. Uh, again, I, I think I see it every Sunday. I mentioned how it's called the masterpiece of the New, of the New Testament. And it's one of uh, Paul's, I mean, all of Paul's writings are great. You know, but uh, all his letters are, are amazing. But I think Romans is just, man, like the climax of every single one of his writings. There's just so much deep truth, deep, uh, deep uh, spiritual doctrine. It just, it, it's so edifying to, to the reader, to the believer, uh, to the person who, 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 who desires to, to again, to, to live by, by, by Paul's words and, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, up until this point, again, he's been making the case for uh, the sinfulness of all humanity. You know, before God, and to the person, and specifically, Paul is writing to the Jew who would seek to justify himself by keeping the law and the traditions of the Jewish people, things like circumcision, things like the 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 the, the Ten Commandments, and for those uh, for those who would desire to 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 be righteous or to be looked at as justified in, in the eyes of God by their doing, Paul is writing to me saying, "Look, man, all that stuff means nothing to God in terms of justification. No matter what we can do for God." or even if they're good things, says that means nothing in terms of our justification, in terms of our righteous standing before the Lord. He says, why? Because no matter what we offer to God, it's still tainted by sin. And so now, as Paul is making his case, he's making the case really for grace. And the book of Romans has been called by Pastor Chuck, it's been called the gospel according to grace. And, and, and Paul made the case last week in, in Romans chapter 5 of how salvation comes by grace alone in Jesus Christ, apart from anything else that we can do. We can do all these great things, and they're amazing, right? And Paul encourages us to venture out and to, and to do things that God is calling us to do. But he says, in terms of salvation, in terms of justification, it does nothing for the soul, right? It does nothing for the soul, but it, salvation comes by grace alone. And so now Paul, is again, now he's going to be addressing, as he did, if you guys want to read that, that last verse of, of chapter 5 for me, uh, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And he says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as Paul is making this case for grace, right? He's making this case for grace. Now he's going to be addressing the person, the believer, specifically the Christian, who might see this and hear what Paul saying and say, well, if my sin gives way for God's grace to show up in my life, then why shouldn't I just sin freely so that God's grace could continue to show up in my life and God would be glorified through the grace that's shown in my sin, right? And there were actually people who thought that way. There was a, a Russian monk in the early, I, I, forget, I forget the years, but it's probably like in the 40s or even like even before that, who was actually making a case for this and, uh, and his name was uh, Rasputin. And he was making this case for, for salvation through sin because uh, sin brings in the grace of God, and of course, you know his 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 his, uh, his teachings were were rejected by, by by the church. But he actually lived this way. He he got a huge gathering. And he was teaching, you know, well, let's sin, let's let's indulge in our own sin. Why? So that we could just experience the grace of God. And he was teaching this experience of the grace of God through uh, open sin, right, without restraint. And so Paul's actually writing to, to uh, interesting that the Lord gave Paul this this uh, insight, you know, that people would kind of take this and run that direction with it. And so Paul gave. Uh, uh, he, he's giving out the, the, the believers this address, and he's clearing things up for them, you know, lest anybody uh, be kind of consumed by, 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 by that teaching. And so he says this in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not, or no way. He says, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? In verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And we'll stop right there. So Paul now is, is making the case for the newness of a life that is justified by grace. And he says, hey, look, we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. And so, and so Paul is speaking in, this, in these uh, metaphorical terms, right? He's saying, look, we're dead. Of course, we're living beings, but spiritually we're dead to that, to that sinful nature. Just been out, and we've been made alive unto Christ. In Romans, again, 5.20, that, that last verse, he, he, said, he made that statement. And he says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And as Paul's making this statement to, to, to the hearer, to the listener, to the believer, he's saying, look, man, we're sinful, right? And if you're a believer, you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you're going to realize that there's this struggle within that. You recognize that God has forgiven you of your sins. You recognize that he's, that he's now put the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. You recognize that he's made you new. He's called you now a son, a daughter. He's adopted you into the family. But you'll also recognize that there's this struggle between knowing to do right and knowing to do wrong. Paul would address it later on, and he'll say, man, he says, like, there's just this internal battle within me because I know to do right and I want to do right, and, but that which I know to do, I don't end up doing. He says, and that which I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And so to the, to the believer and to the listener who's, who, who's hearing Paul's words, they would immediately think, but man, if, if I'm made new, why is it that I still struggle with this sin? And Paul would say again in, in uh, 520, he would say, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And I likened that last week to a cup of water. And if we could use something to illustrate this, this is sin abounding, meaning, man, Paul's saying, look, sin is, is up to the brim in our bodies, in our lives. He says, but where sin is up to the brim in our, in, in our lives, where sin is, is abounding, he says, grace is abounding much more. So imagine taking this little bottle of water, and this is sin abiding in us. This is our bodies, and this is sin filling us to the top. And he says, but grace abounds much more. Man, imagine take, taking this little bottle of water and dipping it at the very center of the Atlantic Ocean. And that's God's grace overabounding. And that's what Paul is saying. And so Paul is addressing now again the, the immature believer that might take this as a, as a license to sin freely. He says, man, well, if grace abounds in my sin, then let me just great, uh, sin freely, right? And so Paul is addressing this person who might take this statement and more, much more than this statement, but the grace of God as a whole. Who might take the grace of God as a whole as, and use it as kind of a license to sin freely knowing, well, hey man, I'm forgiven. Look, God's grace is, is abounding in me. Right? So that the grace of God might be shown in their life. And so Paul combats that thinking by, by stating some, some spiritual truths and, and just some, 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 some truths about our walks with Christ and the spiritual implications of the new life with Him. Meaning certain uh, 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 things that, that now as believers belong to us and certain things that now as believers, as Christians, as, as being made new in Christ, uh, things that we should walk in and things that are kind of like spiritual tools that maybe we're not even aware of. And so he likens in these first few verses, he says, look, he says, just as Christ was baptized, right? He says, no, just as we were baptized, if we were baptized into Christ Jesus, right, through his death. He says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead the glory of the, to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And so what Paul is doing is that he's likening our baptism as believers 
Right now, the, the, just to go a little uh, uh, sidetrack, the Bible does teach you know for, for believers to be baptized. You know, it's apart from an infant baptism. Now, interesting that the Bible actually doesn't doesn't teach an infant baptism. So most of us here were probably uh, baptized when we're when we're babies. I was I have the pictures. I was baptized as a baby. You know, but and and our parents, you know, they they they, did, they took us to get baptized. But interesting that the Bible actually never talks about infant baptism. When it in every instance in the Bible, when when it, uh, when baptism is displayed, it's always when the person is at a mature age and is able to recognize what the spiritual implications of this baptism is. And so Paul is addressing believers who have been baptized already as grown men, grown women, because they recognize that Jesus uh, instructed for the believer to be baptized as a symbol to the whole world, as a symbol to the whole world that, look, the old, the old me is going under the water, and I'm coming out of the water a new person now in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says he's likening our baptism to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and what that looks like practically in our life. He's saying, look, just as Christ was buried, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again from the dead, he says, us too, as believers, when we were baptized, it's like if we were buried with Christ. And when we came up out of the water, it's like, it's like, it, it's like if we were being raised with him as well, just as, just as he was raised. So Paul uses that as an illustration. And he says, just as Christ was buried and raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, he says, so we as believers, when we repent and come to faith in Jesus, he says, uh, we're buried with him and, and, and we come out into this new life, right? Into, into this glorious life now with Christ. Now, he goes on to say that there's certain... Uh, characteristics of this new life in Christ. And so as believers, there's certain things that mark our lives, right, that make it different than from when before, before we knew Christ. I, have a, I think I was driving home from work, was it on Thursday or one of those days, and I was behind a van that had a bunch of Jesus stickers. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, I was reading all those stickers. Like the whole van was covered in bumper stickers. I'm like, ah, oh, that's cool. You know, that guy's representing for Jesus just going down the 57 freeway. And one of the stickers said uh, something in the lights of, I'm just like you, but forgiven. Something like that, right? And I thought, that's pretty cool. And as I was driving, I was thinking about that statement. I'm just like you, but forgiven. I'm just like you, but forgiven. And yeah, that's true, right? But actually, there's more to it. Because it's more than just being forgiven, right? All of a sudden, uh, we're, we, we've inherited spiritual promises, right? God has empowered us through His Holy Spirit. Right? God has forgiven us of our sins, yes, but He's also uh, justified us. He's also sanctifying us and all these different things. And so Paul saying that there's certain characteristics of this new life in Christ that are different than our old life, right? It's not that just, hey, man, well, I'm the same person. I'm just forgiven. Well, it's more than that. It's more than that, Paul's saying. You know, and he's going to explain those things as we go through this whole chapter here, chapter 6. And so this issue that Paul is addressing is something that believers in the church have, have adopted from time to time and, and have, have actually abused this, this whole, hey, man, let's sin freely so that grace may abound in our lives. And this has caused some churches or some people in the church uh, to even consider it dangerous to teach about grace. Right? I've been walking with the Lord for not a long time, 10 years, you know, but, it, but in, in, in that short amount of time, I've experienced uh, being in churches where you don't really hear about the grace of God. Right? And the grace of God isn't really taught to believers because of this same mentality. You think, well, if I tell him too much about the grace of God, he's going to take advantage of it, and he's going to somehow twist in his head and think that he should, could do whatever he wants, and he's covered by the grace of God. This is their mentality, right? And, and, and this teaching of the grace of God, again, it, it's caused some, some, some people in the church or even some, some preachers or pastors uh, to kind of lean towards that way, right? And they would consider it dangerous to teach what Paul is saying here about grace 
again, because of fear that may lead to this extreme of, all right, man, well, I'm in grace. I can do whatever I want, right? But really, to not teach the grace of God. And really to not teach the whole counsel of God's word as a whole, verse by verse, everything that God says. But specifically to not teach this truth of the grace of God is just as extreme as ignoring it altogether, right? And so we seek to, 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 to strike that perfect balance and, and teach both. Yeah, God has given us grace, right? God has given us grace. There's often times where people, man, have told me, man, you're too gracious, you're too gracious, man. You gotta put your foot down. You gotta, you know, stand up. You gotta say something. And I think, nah, you know, this is who God has made me, right? God has shown me extreme amounts of grace, tremendous amounts of grace. So who am I not to be gracious, right? And I've heard it said, hey, look, if, if I'm gonna make an error, I'd rather err in the side of grace, right, than be too strict or be too legalistic or be too whatever, right? I'd rather err in the side of grace. And so. And Paul now is again, and he's gonna he's gonna expound on this. And so, uh, I mean, again, just the grace of God, right? Uh, like King David, uh, he recognized that that God's mercies were great, you know, and he recognized that that God's grace is abundant. There's a there's a story in the Old Testament of King David when he was tempted to number the people, number all his armies. There in the Old Testament, Second Samuel, chapter twenty four, the story goes that as David was king one day, one day he just Really, it was a temptation from, 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 from Satan to go into his heart and to, and to, it was a prideful type of thing. And David began to count every single one of his, his soldiers, right? And, and in that, he was taking pride in the amount, in the huge army that he had. And he was taking pride in, and really in the flesh, saying, man, look, we're so strong. We got so many soldiers. We got, you know, our army so huge. Man, no one can come fight against us. And as he did that, he was actually sinning against the Lord because he was trusting in his own strength and he was trusting in his own army and he was taking pride in the amount of people that he had there. He was, and so it's known as the sin of David and numbering the people. And so as he sinned and he numbered the people, God spoke to David through one of the prophets named Gad. And he says, look, David, because you've sinned against God and you've numbered the people, something you're not supposed to do, and you're taking pride in this, he says, and look, God has to you know, kind of correct you in front of all the people. And so, and so the, through the prophet Gad... Uh, he gave him three options. All right, this is what God says. You want this, you want this, you want this. And notice what David said. There in verse 13 of uh, 2 Samuel 24, it says, Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, he says, shall 70 years of famine come into your land? Or, or will, will you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or let there be three days pestilence in your land? Now let me know and, and, and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me, which is God. And so God gives David three options. All right, David, look, you messed up, but all right, I'll give you three options. What? I mean, I have to correct you in front of the people because you're in a position of authority, you're in a position of leadership. And so God, through, through the prophet Gad, says, which one of these three, three things do you want? And notice what David says there in verse 14. He says, and David said unto Gad, he says, I am in a great, he says, I'm in great danger. He says, uh, let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. He says, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. And so David recognized, man, he says, I deserve punishment. I deserve correction. But let me just fall into the, into, in, he says, God, let me just fall into your hand. Whatever you want, Lord, because if I fall into the hand of man, I know man is merciless. I know man is not gracious. I know man is going to tear me up. But he says, God, let me just fall into your hand. Whatever you desire to do with me, Lord, I know you're gracious. He says, I know that your mercies are great. Right? This is something that David recognized here in the Old Testament. And this is something that Paul is, 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 is emphasizing, the grace, the mercy of God when we sin. 
And so he goes on to say this in verse 5. He says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, then certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 7, he says, For he who has died has been free from sin. Now, if we died from Christ, with Christ, then we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. And he says, death no longer has dominion or power over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And we'll stop right there. And so Paul is saying, look, we as believers, we're no longer slaves to sin. He says, just as we apply the death of Christ to our lives, he says, so we should apply the resurrection of Christ to our lives also. Right? And, and, and in our Christian walks, a lot of times we, we hear the, uh, the emphasis putting on, hey man, well, Christ died for our sins, Christ died for our sins, Christ died for our sins. And yes, he did die for our sins, but he also resurrected from the dead. Right? And I feel like that's kind of what, the one aspect of, 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 of the cross that, that, we, that we neglect. Hey, Christ, he's not dead anymore, right? Yeah, he died for our sins, but right now he's at the glory, of the, uh, he's in glory with the Father. And so Paul says, just as we, we believe that, 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 that the old man died with Christ on the, on the cross, right, and we're buried, he says, so we should believe that we've been raised into a new life now with him. And he says, knowing this, knowing this, knowing what? He says, knowing that our old man or that, that old nature was done away with when we, consider, when we considered ourselves dead and made new in Christ. And so this is a spiritual truth that, that, that Paul is desiring to, to get across, this point that he's desiring to get across, that if we just kind of skim through it, we lose it. And this is a deep truth right here. This is a doctrine. And so Paul is saying that our old nature, our sinful nature, the person we were before we believed in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, he says that that old nature was done away with when we believed on Jesus and by default we, we consider ourselves dead to that old man, to that old nature, and we've been made new in Christ. He says when the moment we believe, he says that old nature is done away with. It's done away with. Now, this death to our old sin nature brought along the freedom from slavery to that nature. He says, when we're in sin, before we knew Jesus, we were slaves to that sin, whether we recognize it or not. He says, we were slaves to our carnal ambition. But through this death to our old nature, it brought along freedom now from the power of sin. And so we know that through death, we have been made free from the hold that sin has on our lives. It's like, a, it's like this binding contract, right? If I make a contract with somebody, all right, man, this contract's going to stand until one of us dies, whether it's him or I, right? But as soon as one of the, one of the parties dies, hey, man, the other person is free from the contract. And that's, what, that's, that's the spiritual implication in our life, is that before we knew Christ, right, we're slaves. We're, like, indebted to our, our, our sin. We're slaves to the sin and to our carnal ambitions. Man, your body says, do this, do that, and you just kind of follow along, right? You have no power over it. Man, indulge in this, indulge in that, do this, do that. Like you don't even fight it. It's not, it's, you don't even see it as a wrong thing. You just follow whatever your body wants to do, right? Whatever your carnal mind wants to do. But as soon as we've been, we've considered ourselves dead to our old nature because we're now made alive in Christ, he says that thing has no power over us no more. Why? So we're no longer slaves to it. There's a story that D.L. Moody used to tell. D.L. Moody, if you're not familiar with him, he's an old, uh, an old school preacher. But he used to tell this story of a, of a little, of, of little uh, slave woman 
back in the days, right, uh, after the Civil War, she would go to her master and she would say, am I free or am I a slave? Because when I go to my people, when I go to my own, they tell me that we've been made free. But when I come to my master, he tells me that, no, I'm still a slave. And the master would tell him, no, you're still a slave. Even though the slaves had already been freed, right? She was still in this, in, in this mindset, in this mentality that, no, I'm still a slave and I'm still indebted to you. And she didn't know which, which, how to live. She would go home and they would tell her, no, we're, we're free, we're free. And she would go to her master and he would say, no, you're not. You're still my slave. You're still my slave. And so she would live both lives. And, and really, as Christians, a lot of us live this both lives, right? We've been made free from our sin, but yet sometimes we don't realize it. And, and, and by default, sometimes we still live as if we're slaves to our old sin nature, just doing whatever our old sin nature desires for us to do, not knowing that Christ has broken those chains of slavery that were, that, that, that were, that were tying us to our, our old sin nature. He's made us free from those things. That's what Paul is saying, that the old sin nature now has been rendered inoperative, you could say, and no use no more, right, in the life of the believer. Now, just as death has no power over Christ, Paul would say, so sin has no power in the life of the believer. Now, that doesn't mean that sin uh, won't try to creep up on you and try to drag you back to our old nature, because he does it all the time. Right? If you're like me, you have to constantly go to the Lord every single day, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, help me, Lord, strengthen me. Right? Because that old sin nature is still there. We're still in this body. And as long as we're in this body, we're in a, a body of flesh and a body of sin. And that old sin nature is going to just man, poke its ugly head out and drag you back into the pit every single chance it gets. Now, but the truth is that when we believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we were made new. Right? And we were, we were freed from that, from that bondage to sin. Paul would say later on in 2 Corinthians, and then in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he would say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He says, we're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, he says, all things are made new. All things have become new. All things. When he says all things, that means all things. All things have, have, been, have become new. And, and now that we have been made new in Christ, the Bible tells us that sin no longer has the same stronghold that it once did in our lives. Right? It's still there. It's Still present for now the difference is that God through his Holy Spirit has given us the power to resist those the, that, that sin right that before we were just given over to freely right our sin nature was not eliminated but it's been stripped of its power right? I mean and, and as you go, he continues to, 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 to just explain this right we recognize that before we had the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us we could sin freely with no restraint or no conviction when all of a sudden the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, and when we're sinning against God, or when we're sinning against our own conscience, man, if you, if, you, if you realize in your life, man, there's this conviction that, like, man, you have no peace. Because you know, man, I'm not, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be living this way. Right? This is not what God is calling me to do. Right? When I first got saved for, like, the first year and a half, almost two years, uh, I was living like that little old lady. Man, am I free or am I slave? Am I free or am I slave? I was given over to just whatever carnal ambition came to mind. But I genuinely believed in Jesus, and I believe that the moment I believed in him, when I heard the gospel message, his Holy Spirit indwelled me. And so all of a sudden, I had the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I had this conviction of sin, but yet I was trying to live both lives. And for close to two years, man, I struggled hard because all of a sudden, I had this strong conviction that wouldn't let me sleep. It's like, man, I would, I literally, I couldn't sleep because I knew, man, what am I doing? What am I doing, right? I'm doing this. I, I've never felt that in my life before. 
Before that point, I could do whatever I wanted and feel no remorse, feel no shame, feel no whatever, no conviction. All of a sudden, I felt this conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life, and, and I had no peace because I knew, man, I'm fighting against this conviction in my heart. I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. No one ever sat me down and taught me the truth of the Bible. But now I recognize that, man, that God's Holy Spirit indwelled me, right? And he put in me the conviction. And I was fighting against that thing because I still, I was given over to my, to my carnal ambitions while the Holy Spirit was dwelling inside of me. I didn't understand how I could get free from that. So one day I was like, man, Lord, I just surrendered. And through that, God just empowered me, right, to have victory over those areas of, uh, of my life. And so as Paul is saying, he says, he's, he's saying that now through the Holy Spirit, again, we have that power to resist, to resist those temptations, to resist that old sin nature and render it as dead, right? It has no power over us anymore. It's present, but it has no power. Right? It's got no jurisdiction over us anymore. Now, you may be thinking, why is it that I haven't experienced you know, much spiritual victory over the flesh in my life? You know, what's missing? You know, what's missing? And it says this. He goes, Paul goes on to say this in verse 11. He says, Likewise, you also, he says, reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Verse 12, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lust. He says, and do not present your members or your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. And so Paul says, Hey, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin indeed. Now, interesting that that word that Paul uses there, reckon, for us it's like an old English type of word, right? We don't really use it anymore. But, but, but unless you're like in the West or something, I reckon that's true, right? Or those old country, country songs. But Paul, when he says reckon, the Greek word for reckon is actually logizomai, uh, which means to count as. You say, hey, man, count yourself as dead. To count as or to render equivalent as. Or also to consider, to consider as if, or to determine as if, or to purpose, or to suppose that this is, right? And so Paul says, reckon, reckon yourself to be dead to sin indeed. So we are to live lives convinced that my old sin nature is dead and buried and is no longer part of me, right? It has no power over me anymore. I don't have to obey it. If my carnal lust says, hey, do this, do that, I can say, nope, shut up. Right? And it doesn't have that same power that it once did over me. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit indwells me. And so the idea is, Paul is saying that we should live in such a way that we truly believe our old sin nature is dead forever. Forever. Right? Now, if a person is dead, think about this. You know, what, what Paul is saying, because he's using this play on words and he's using this illustrative word. He says, hey, reckon it as dead. Consider it dead. You think, man, if a person is dead, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't spend time with them anymore, right? You can't hang out with them anymore. You can't talk with them anymore. Uh, you can't touch them anymore. And, and this is what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, he's saying, this is how we are to consider our old nature. Hey, man, that old angel, I have nothing to do with them no more, man. I can't talk to him. don't want to touch that person. don't want to be near that person. He says, I don't want no fellowship. He says, he's got nothing to do with me, man. He's dead. That old angel, he's dead, man. He's buried, and that's it. He's got no part in me anymore. So Paul is saying, hey, consider this as a truth in your life. Because it is. 
right? We're not taught this a lot of times, and, and, and really it's, it's a biblical truth, right? That that old nature, the power that I once had over us, it's gone, right? It's been, he's been disarmed, right? And so this disarming of the power of sin in our lives is something that God, through the Holy Spirit, does in our lives. And I would say that as God brings those little convictions into your life, the more you're obedient to those convictions that he places in your life, each one of our convictions is different. I can't say, hey, man, you can't do this because, hey, man, that's my conviction. That's not yours, right? Someone would tell me, hey, you're not supposed to dress that. Hey, that's your conviction, not mine. Right? Don't put your convictions on me. But as you're obedient to those little convictions that God places in your life as an individual, it gets, you, you feel those, that, that, that weight of the old nature kind of just brushed off more and more and more and more. Right? The more you're obedient to those convictions that God has placed in your life. But we see that the reckoning of or, 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 walking, or walking that out practically is something that, that we are to do. So that, that killing off, that's God's work. Right? That old nature is killed off when we believe on Jesus on the cross and because of what he did on the cross. That, that's God's work. And man, don't worry about that. The Bible never instructs us to kill our old nature. But it says to walk it out. Right? Because that killing of the, all that, he says, hey, Jesus did that, did that on the cross. God does that for us. That's a hard work. We're instructed as believers to walk in it, just to walk in it, believe it, and to walk in it, to reckoning, to reckon it, right? Just walk it out practically, and it's something that we're to do on a daily basis, right? Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but really on a, it's it's to define our lives. And then he says, "Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, you know, in your human bodies. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey its lust." Now. Sin would love to rule and reign in your life and make you its slave again. If any chance sin gets, hey, it's going to make you your slave. Now it's going to make you, you know, I'm your master, you do whatever I tell you to do. But Paul says, hey, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. When you look at that, that word reign, you know, it talks about, uh, is, is definitive of a tyrant. Someone who just comes in and just, you know what, it's my land, it's my turf, and just takes over. He says, hey, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. Right? Sin would love to keep you in bondage and not allow you to experience that true freedom, that true freedom in that new life that Christ offers. Now, there must be, with that being said, there must be in the life of the believer a complete, final surrender to the Lord in, area, in every area of our lives. See, I've told you guys before of a little book. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's, it's really, they make them this small, and it's like five little pamphlets like five little pages of a little pamphlet. And, and, and in this little book, I don't know if it's even considered a book, it's literally, I said, five little pages like this. And, and, and this guy goes on to describe, you know, uh, his heart, and he describes that as a house. He says, hey, Jesus came to my home, he says, and uh, he came in, and first he just sat on the couch in the living room. And I said, yeah, Jesus, you can have the living room. Then he went to the kitchen. He said, yeah, Jesus, you go into the kitchen. He says, and then he went to one of the bedrooms. He says, yeah, Jesus, you go into the bedroom. He says, and then he went to you know, all, the other, all, the, all the other rooms, and he said, yeah, Jesus, that's it. It's your home. My heart is your home. He says, and then Jesus says, let me go into that little closet. And the guy's like, no, Jesus, you don't want to go in there. And Jesus, he says, and Jesus said, I want to be Lord of, of all your home, of all your heart. And the guy's like, no, you don't want to go in there. Jesus says, you're going to be, he says, you, I, don't, I don't want you to see what's in there. We'll go on and say, right? And Jesus says, hey, man, let me be, let me be Lord of that little closet. The book goes on to say that eventually, you know, he says, all right, Jesus, Jesus, you're not going to like what you see in there, but if you want to be Lord of this little closet, then you can have this little closet too, right? And so Paul is saying, he says, hey, man, don't allow sin to reign in your mortal body. 
anymore. Don't let it have any more power over you. A lot of times have, sin has power over us when we keep those things in the dark. Right? And so God is calling us to a complete, just final surrender. All right, Lord, that's it. You got that little closet too. I think in the book the guy was fighting, he's like, come on, Lord, let me just keep this little closet. You have the whole house. Right? But it's like when we, when we surrender everything, even that little closet of your heart, like, man, then the Lord can come in and he can do that, 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 that cleansing work in our lives. The biblical term for it, or like the, the fancy term for it, is called sanctification. Right? We've been justified, meaning that the moment that, that we believe in, in Christ, God sees us as we, just as if we've never sinned. That's amazing. That even though we're sinners, even though we mess up, the moment we believe in Jesus, God sees us justified, just as if we had never sinned. He sees us as righteous, no matter what we do. But now there's this other thing called the sanctification process. It's really what Paul's explaining here. And that kind of, that takes time. The sanctification process is uh, the Lord washing us day by day. And it's, as we continue to walk with Him, it's like, man, He washes these areas in our life and He goes into those little rooms of our heart and starts, you know, just mopping and, and sweeping and doing all these things, right, cleaning the windows of our hearts and start doing that little work in our lives as we just surrender it all to Him. And so He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. I like the way the, the New Living Translation puts it. I'll read it for you. It says, Verse 12 and 13 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Like that. It says, Do not give in to its sinful desires. Simple. And then it says this in verse 13 in the New Living Translation. It says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. It says, Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what, what is right for the glory of God. Amazing, I love how it just simplifies it. And it says in verse 15, it says, What then? So he says, Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? He says, Certainly not. Again, no way. He says, No way. First, he said this in, in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, shall we, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? He says, No way. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law anymore but under grace? Again, no way. Certainly not. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And so Paul states his truth. He says, hey, whatever you're giving yourself over to, you become that thing's slave. If I'm constantly giving myself over to money, 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 I gotta, I'm, I'm always thinking about the hustle, which at one point I was. I gotta work, I gotta work, I need sleep, I gotta make this money. That's my, that was my mentality back then. And I did whatever I needed to do in order to have money coming in. Sometimes they weren't, most of the time it wasn't like right things. But I was a slave to that. Ask me where all that money is, I don't know what I spent it on. I don't have nothing to show for it. But it's like, if that's what you're giving yourself over to, and if that's what has power over you, it says, yeah, you're that thing's slave. If my thing is pride or, or idolatry or fornication or lust or whatever it is that you're giving yourself over to, but that thing that has just control over you, that whenever it rings a little bell, you're like, yes, Master, I'm coming. Let me do this, let me do that. It's like, hey, man, you're that thing slave without even realizing it. He says whether, whether it's, it's of sin, whether you're a slave to sin that leads to death, he says, or whether you're a slave to obedience that leads to righteousness. Right? It says, and so on that same point, he says, look, he says, not that, 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 that this idea of, of being given over to something is wrong. But he says, it's being given over to the wrong thing that's wrong. That makes it wrong. When it's sin, he says, it's going to lead to death. But when you're given over to, 
So obedience in Christ, is, it leads to righteousness. Verse 17, he says, But God be thanked, says, Thank you, God, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. I mean, the gospel. Says, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You became slaves of righteousness. And Paul's describing something that's really, like the way it sounds, it kind of sounds like an oxymoron, like an oxymoron, like a contradiction. What? I, I've been free from the slavery of sin, and now I'm a slave to righteousness? How can that be? Aren't I still a slave? And the truth is, as I found in my walk, and as you could talk to anybody who's walked with the Lord for, for a while, you recognize it. You come to a point where you recognize that when you make yourself a slave to Christ, you become free from everything else. But when you reject Christ in your life, you become slave, enslaved to everything else. Right. Reject Christ, you're enslaved to the world. Reject the world and become enslaved to Christ, and you've been made free from everything else. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, thank God, but God be thanked, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Again, speaking of the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross for us. He says, and having been set free from sin. Notice this, he says, having been set free. The moment that, 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 that this transformation takes place in our life, that transformation of just believing on what Jesus did on the cross, we we're set free that very moment. It's not a gradual thing. It's not that, that uh, all right, uh, one, one of the bars just cut loose and we could slip in. Then later on, a few years, and another bar gets loose and we could slide it, slide it out a little more. Then, every, then after a few years, the shackles are, no. He says, the very moment you believe, you've been set free. Right? It's not a gradual thing. It's a, man, that's it, on the spot type of thing. So the moment we, we believe, we've been set free from the power of sin in our life. In verse 18, he says, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, of, of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. For holiness. And so Paul says, he says, hey man, he says, forgive me, but I'm, I'm using human terms. He says, because you can't really understand fully what I'm trying to say, he says, I'm using human terms like slavery, right? Keep in mind that, that, that in the Roman Empire, they practiced slavery. Yeah, uh, now, back then, slavery wasn't based on, on the color of one's skin or, or their ethnicity, but it was based on debt. It was based on, uh, well, mainly debt, Right? If, if you became indebted to Rome or if you became indebted, even, even the Jews back in the day, they used to practice slavery, but it was always for a certain term. The Bible, uh, God laid out for them there, there in, in Leviticus. He said, all right, look, if one of your brothers becomes indebted to you because you loaned them some land so they could harvest some crops and, and, and they can't pay it off, then give them seven years to pay it off. At seven years, if the debt is paid or not, you're going to forgive them and send them free freely. Right? You're to treat them right. And so that's something that, 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 that they would practice, but again, was never based on a skin color or a racial ethnicity. The Romans practiced slavery in the same way, right? always having to do with, with, uh, with debt. And so Paul saying, he says, forgive me for, for using you know, just human terms, but he says, but this is the only way I could, I could get the point across, right? using things like slavery, things that they, that they, that they saw every single day. Right? Every single day, the regular Roman would be able to walk through the cities of Rome, the streets of Rome, and see a person doing slave work. Right, or see a person shackled to a guard, or see a person with their master, you know, grocery shopping, whatever. It was something normal to them. And so as he's using this as a form of explaining this, he says, look, I speak in human terms because 
of the weakness of your flesh, meaning because of your inability to fully understand. For just as you presented your, your body or your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, he says, now I encourage you, he says, present your body as a slave of righteousness for holiness. He says, just like before you were saved, right? You were just given over to, your, to the lust of your flesh, your carnal desires. You were a slave to it. He says, consider yourself now a slave to righteousness. Again, I mentioned earlier, when we reject Christ, we become enslaved to everything else. We're a slave of the world when you reject Christ. But when you reject the world and you become a slave to Christ, you become free from everything else. Right? Slave to Christ, free from the world. Slave to the world, away from Christ. And so he says this, verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? He says, for the end of those things is death. He says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Meaning, look, man, when you were given over to your body, to your bodily cravings, when you were given over to, 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 to sin, and we were given over, and when you were a slave of sin, he says, you don't know anything about righteousness, right? Because you were just indulging in this, indulging in this. But now that, now that you've been set free from those things, he says, he says, what? he says, think back now. He says, now, now that you've been set free, now that you're walking in the freeness and, and the freeness of sin and, and the newness of life with Christ, now that you're walking in righteousness, he says, look back at those things when you were a slave to sin. And he says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit did you have then in the things in which you are now ashamed? Now that your eyes are open, now that your life has changed, now that, you've, now, now that, that, that you have a new life in Christ, he says, think, think back of when you were a slave to sin. He says, what fruit did, did, did you have in those things at which now you're ashamed? Right? And a lot of us could look back at our old lives. I've been around Christians that, man, love to brag about what they did in the past and whatever. I mean, to each their own. Right? There's one thing, there's a difference between a testimony and a testimony. You know, when, when you give testimony of what God has done in your life, and you bring up things in the past right, to give God glory and to say, look, man, God saved me from all these things. But when you're a Christian and you're glorying in the shameful things of the past. Oh, man, yeah, I'm a Christian. I used to do this, I used to do that. And, oh, you should see me. Hey, man, I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to think about the things I did back then, man, when I was a slave to sin. They're shameful things. It's not things I want to, man, now that I'm married, you know, Liz is finding out things like from my past and as we're, you know, running into old friends and stuff. And I was like, man, yeah, that was me. That was me. I'm not, a, I'm not, proud, I'm not proud to say, you know, but that was me. And so Paul is saying, he says, look back now. Look back now at your old life. He says, what fruit did you have in your past life? Right? What fruit, what fruit did you have in the things that now you're ashamed of? Though he's a, it's a rhetorical question. Really, it's nothing. Nothing, right? There was no fruit. All that sin just led, led to more spiritual death. He says, for the end of those things is death. And verse 22 says, but now, and this is kind of like, man, the icing on the cake. He says, but now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, because you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Before in our past life, the fruit of our sins, the fruit of our, of, 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 of our, of our past lives, it would lead to death. He says, but now, being slaves to righteousness in, in, in God, in Christ, he says, our fruit is now unto holiness and unto everlasting life. Our past fruit led to death. Our new fruit in Christ, amen, leads to life. Not just life, but everlasting life. And verse 23, 
For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one verse I, when I first learned this, I, man, I, I couldn't stop reading it. It was something I would read all the time, every day, literally every day. Whenever I could, I was on my lunch break, I'd go on my, on my, on my phone app on the Bible, and I was just amazed at this verse. Because what Paul is saying is, look, again, your old past fruit led to death. It's for the wages of sin is death. Meaning, man, you were, we all know what a wage is, right? We all work jobs and, 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 or have work jobs. And when you're at a job, you get paid at the end of the week a wage for whatever time you put in. If I work 40 hours at this job, uh, at the end of the week, I get a, a, a wage for that, for the work I put in. And Paul's saying, the wages of sin, he says, all that work you put in sin, he says, you, you know what that amounts to? He says, death. That's what you just get death. That's what you deserve is death. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that, that careful wording of Paul. That working towards in the world of sin leads to death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Man, and it's like the world rips you off because it makes you work for all these things and yet it rewards you with death. But when you're walking with the Lord, he says he gives us eternal life. And he says it's a gift. Right? It's not some, a gift is not something you can buy. It's not something you can earn because that means that you would deserve it. And it's not something that, that, that you can attain anywhere else. It's a gift. A gift depends completely on the giver. And he says, and it's God who's given it, right? It's a, it's a gift of grace, meaning that there's nothing that we could do in ourselves to earn it or to deserve it. But he says, look, man, God is giving you a gift. This amazing gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, through what he did on the cross. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world. So where does this gift of grace come from? It comes from the love of God unto you. Like Paul said last week in verse chapter 5, in chapter 5, he says, hey, he says, even when we were, well, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? It's not that we deserved it. It's not that God said, all right, man, look, he's been good. Angel's been, good, been doing good. He's been praying every day. He's had a good long streak, right, of no sinning. All right, I'm going to send Jesus down on the cross for him now. He deserves it. No. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for you. Right? It's a free gift. And this gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for that free gift, Lord, that you've given us, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, because there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn or to work towards or to even pay you back for this gift. Lord, the, the, the most that we can offer, Lord, is, is our lives unto you, Lord, and yet that's nothing because you're the owner of the whole world. But, Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for, for, for that free gift and for what you've done in our lives, Lord. And I pray, Father God, for my brothers and my sisters, Lord, may you just bless them, Lord, Bless them, Lord, with that knowledge, Lord, of knowing that they've been set free from the power of sin in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them in their walks, Father, so they would uh, be able to live victorious lives in, in everyone's personal struggles. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, Father. Be with us, Lord. And help us to, Lord, be a good example of your grace unto the, this dying world, Lord. And I pray you would continue to remind us, Lord, of, all, of just that free gift or that awesome gift that you've given us, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Bless, bless this church today, Lord. Bless them. Uh, bless your families, Father God. Bless those who couldn't be here today, Lord. Bless those who stayed at home, Lord. Bless the kids next door, Father. And I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.